I absolutely love life. I think life is great. Life is great because I love my work. I love interacting with other people, and I love the incredible myriad ways that I can enjoy life through recreation. Life is great. But life also can be very hard. Life is hard because I have to work. Life is hard because I have to deal with people. Life is hard because most of the ways I like to recreate are expensive. <laughs> and the fact is, so many aspects of life are great, but many aspects of life are hard. And our lives can be filled with stress and decisions and demands and anxieties. And we need to realize that God wanted to spare us from all of the heartache that we experience in life. It was not part of his original plan. In the beginning, our gracious God created a world of peace, a world of contentment, a world of incredible beauty, a world of perfection where everything operated exactly as he intended. And he created a, a man called Adam and a woman called Eve. And he turned them loose to simply enjoy it. To enjoy all of it. He gave Adam a job to tend the garden. And Adam's work was completely satisfying. It was free from the kinds of stresses that we face in our work. I find myself wondering if, if perhaps Eve joined him in the work. Finding pleasure in the sheer joy of physically working and caring for God's creation. I wonder if perhaps at the end of the day, after their work, they wandered down and sat on the banks of the river that flowed through the garden, enjoying the shade of the trees and watching the sun go down. And they would have the opportunity to talk together in a relationship that was free of conflict. Maybe they'd relax by swimming and splashing and engaging in some horseplay together. I like to picture Adam there on the banks of that stream, maybe seeing a stone, walking over and picking it up and skipping the stone across the water. It's hard for a guy to see a rock and not want to throw it. And then God would join them there. And the three of them, Adam and Eve and God, would actually spend time together. Now, we don't know exactly how they spent their time. But we do know that Eden was an idyllic world. It was a place where our ancestors could work and play without any stress or anxiety. And in this place of perfection, Adam and Eve experienced an open and honest relationship with one another and with the creator of the universe. And the perfect harmony of this world and the perfect harmony of their relationship is beautifully summarized for us in Genesis chapter 2, verse 25. Adam and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. That is a significant statement. 
Think about it. You and I feel exposed without clothes. But Adam and Eve felt just fine. They were emotionally and relationally comfortable with their physical condition because they had nothing to hide. And why was that? It's because there was no lying and no deceit and no manipulation. There were no hidden agendas and no hurt feelings. Neither one was trying to take advantage of the other. There was no sin. And without sin, there was no shame. They were free, free to simply be with each other and with God. It's hard to imagine what that kind of life would be like. They were at peace. What what kind of contentment they would have experienced living that life there. And that's what God wanted for his children. He gave them a world without shame and he gave it to them as a gift. And along with that, he gave them freedom, including the freedom to choose. So he placed one and only one boundary on their freedom. They could choose not to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So Adam and Eve could choose to follow the path and follow the plan that God had established for them and enjoy this world without shame, or they could choose to ignore God. And eat from a tree that God said is off limits. And tragically, Adam and Eve did not manage their freedom well as this story unfolds in chapter 3. Genesis 3.1, Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden. But God did say, you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it, or you will die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Satan appears here in the garden in the form of a serpent. Satan is an angelic being who had rebelled against God. And here he tries to disrupt God's plan for humanity. Now God made men and women in his image, but we are not God. And yet we're continually tempted to act as if we are God. That is a continual problem. For men and women. And Satan uses that temptation here as a lure to deceive Eve. Now Satan, oh he's crafty. He's crafty. And he knows that Eve is the weak link. Not because she's a woman, but because Adam has not properly taught her about God's expectations. Eve is unclear about the guidelines that God has established for life there in Eden. And as a result, she is ripe for deception. Poorly taught people always are the most vulnerable to deception. 
That's why it's vital for you and I to be intentional about learning spiritual truth from God. That's why we need to take time to read the Bible. And that's why as a church we encourage people to get involved with adult Bible fellowships and life groups. It's why we believe it's important for children to be in Sunday school. We all must be properly taught so we cannot be deceived. And here's how that happened to Eve. When God created Adam, he told him not to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Eve had not yet been created when God gave that command. So therefore, it was Adam's responsibility to pass that information on. He needed to instruct Eve. And when we compare what God told Adam in Genesis 2 with what Eve says to the serpent here, we find some critical differences. Eve does not understand what the forbidden tree actually represents. To her, it's, it's just a tree. So she doesn't understand why God placed it off limits. She doesn't fully understand what God is trying to protect her from. Furthermore, Eve's, Eve believes that even to touch the fruit will result in death, which is much harsher than what God actually said. Adam dropped the ball because he taught Eve inaccurately and incompletely. And as a result, she's able to be lured by Satan. She thinks that God is withholding something good from her, so she takes the bait. And Adam, who knows better, goes right along with her. We see that in verse 6. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Notice the temptation that Eve faced. Oh, the fruit looks good. Surely it's going to taste good. And if we eat it, we'll be wiser. We're going to get wisdom from this. Oh, it's all good. Why shouldn't, why shouldn't I eat it? What could be wrong? What's wrong is that God said no. And Adam knew why God said no. He had complete understanding about this issue, and yet he is complicit in this act of rebellion against the Creator. Despite receiving a direct command from God, Adam stands there next to Eve. He watches her reach out to grab the forbidden fruit, and he makes no attempt to stop her. In fact, he joins her. He is disobedient, and it leads to disaster. For Adam, for Eve, and for humanity. And that's why in the book of Romans, chapter 5, the Apostle Paul writes these heartbreaking words. Through one man, sin entered the world. Adam knew better. Why did he do this? Because like Eve, he yields to temptation. And I believe their responses reveal the root cause of sin. 
We find it described this way in the book of 1 John chapter 2, verse, 6, verse 16. Everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. I think those words in 1 John summarize and describe accurately what Adam and Eve experienced here. As they look at that fruit on the tree, they give in to the lust of the eyes and the lust of the flesh. Their appetites kick in and they say, oh, it looks good and we want it. And they give in to the lust of pride. The pride to gain wisdom and to be like God. And you and I make that same mistake when we ignore the healthy boundaries that God wants to place on our lives. We need to understand that boundaries given by God do not restrict us, but actually make us free. Adam and Eve ignore God in order to grasp for more freedom, but they take more than is good for them, and as a result, they actually wind up enslaving themselves. Because of their actions. Everything changes. The world that was free of shame no longer exists. And we see that with painful clarity in verses 7 and 8. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden of the cool, excuse me, walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Think about how instantly everything changed. And how dramatically everything changed. Suddenly, for the first time ever in the world, there now is shame. For the first time ever, there is behavior that results in embarrassment and guilt. The openness and the honesty and the intimacy of life with each other and with God has been destroyed. And now for the first time, human beings live with hidden thoughts and hidden actions and hidden agendas. And so in shame, Adam and Eve now hide their bodies from one another and they try to hide from God. And this is such a typical human response to shame. We engage in a cover-up. But a cover-up never solves the problem. It only hides the problem. Adam and Eve managed to hide their nakedness with fig leaves, but, but they can't hide their shame. And they can't hide from God. God finds them. And when God finds them, they make matters worse because they take that feeling of shame and then they let it lead them to blame. Look what happens starting in verse 9. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? And then here is where it just really goes downhill. 
the man said, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. And the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. Adam and Eve not only experience shame because of their actions, they now experience a brand new emotion called fear. Fear was not part of God's original plan for humanity. And now for the first time, we have human beings made in the image of God who are afraid of encountering their Creator. And this fear is a direct manifestation of their shame. One of the great lies of Satan is that we have to clean up our act in order to even approach God. And we see this play out in our own lives. We make a mistake. We engage in some kind of moral failure. And what do we do? We run away from God. We stop praying. We stop reading the Bible. We stop going to church. Like Adam and Eve, we, we want to hide in shame. Yet the moments when we fail, and we all do fail, the moments when we fail are the moments when we need God the most. Those are the moments when we need the family of God the most. And that's why the Apostle Paul writes in the book of Galatians, chapter 6, verse 1, that when a believer is caught in a sin, we should restore them. We don't beat people up for their failures. We help bring them back to God. And that's clearly what God wants, as we see here in Genesis, because he goes looking for Adam and Eve. Every loving parent will go after their runaway children. And that's what God does. He does not give up on Adam and Eve because they have failed. He pursues them. And for the first time ever, they're hiding. And he calls out to Adam because he knows if they're hiding, then they've ignored his boundaries. Boundaries that clearly were spelled out to Adam. And Adam's response to God, oh, I was naked, so I hid, is a dead giveaway of his failure. So God confronts him for his disobedience. And now that shame has set in, Adam suffers from a guilty conscience. Now that shame has set in, he wants to lie rather than be honest. So Adam's shame leads him to cast blame. You ever find yourself doing that? Whenever we make a mistake and feel shame. It is so tempting to want to blame others. It's an attempt to cover ourselves, to remove our sense of shame and guilt. Adam's tactic here of issuing blame to divert attention from himself is the verbal equivalent of putting a fig leaf on to cover his physical nakedness. But it never works. And as we see here in this passage, Adam Adam points the finger of blame at God himself. He blames God for creating Eve and putting her there in the garden with him. And, and I hate to say it, but sometimes I do the same thing. There are times in life 
when I give myself a self-inflicted wound by doing or saying something stupid. And it's amazing how I can somehow rationalize that and wind up blaming God. I'll bet you do that at times as well. But Adam doesn't stop there. He also blames Eve. So then God confronts Eve. And what does she do? She follows Adam's example. He's just taught her how you deal with shame. You deal with shame by dealing out blame. So just as Adam blamed God and blamed Eve, Eve now blames the serpent. And as we reflect on this story, this true story, it is tragic to see how far Adam and Eve have fallen. Our ancestors enjoyed life in a world free of shame and blame. They lived in relationships that were open and honest, and they experienced the presence of God in a way that we only can imagine. And now, because of Adam's disobedience and Eve's deception, they've distorted God's creation. They have initiated the shame and blame game that now is an ongoing part of the human condition. It's a tragedy that this happened. And it's a tragedy that we continue to repeat this very same behavior. I find myself asking, will we ever learn that the shame and blame game just doesn't work? It never solves our problems. Now, if we mess up, and if we successfully shift the blame to another person, we temporarily may feel good because we've gotten ourselves off the hook. But we're not healed. We're not forgiven. The doubt, the hurt, the shame, oh, they'll linger. So why do we do this? We do it because we find it easier than to be honest with God. And fortunately, the story doesn't end here. In the beginning, God wanted to spare us from shame. However, now in our broken world, shame actually is a tool. It's a tool that God can use to lead us back to Him. So instead of responding to shame with blame, we can respond by choosing not to hide from God. We can respond by choosing not to engage in a cover-up. Instead, we can admit to God what we've done. We can be honest about how and where and why we have failed. And we can receive healing through Jesus. Only Jesus truly can heal us. Because on the cross, he took our shame and our guilt upon himself. And we're going to talk more about that in the weeks ahead. What we need to see here at the beginning of human history is that the shame and blame game is our own self-inflicted problem. And even though we caused it, our loving God provides the solution. And the solution is Jesus, the crucified Savior. 
Jesus, the resurrected Lord. When we put our trust in Jesus, then and only then can we experience the sweetness of a fresh start in life with the slate wiped clean. When we trust Jesus, we can reach a point where there is no shame and blame game. Every time we come to the Bible, I believe that God's Spirit is speaking to us, prodding us, nudging us. And so I wonder how God might be inviting you to respond to what He said here in His Word this morning. And maybe you've just been running from God. Maybe you are afraid of God. And what I hope you'll see in this story is that whatever mistakes you have made, they do not keep you away from the reach of God. God pursues people in love because he wants to draw people into relationship with him. He wants everyone to be his children. And if you've been running from God, I think the message of this passage is stop. And make the choice to become a follower of Jesus and let God take away the shame and the blame of your past. Maybe you're a believer and yet you're feeling stuck. Maybe you're wallowing in the shame of some failure. And God doesn't want to leave you there any more than he wanted to leave Adam and Eve alone. And what I hope you take from this passage is that it's not fruitful to run from God. Don't try and hide. God wants to bring you back. You just need to be honest with Him and let His truth remove your shame. It may be that as you ponder all this that that you want to talk to somebody about some of these things. It may be that you want someone to pray with you. If so, after the service, I want to encourage you to make your way over to the prayer corner. We'll have one or two elders there. And our elders are eager. They are eager to help draw you toward God. They're eager to help you move beyond the shame and blame game. And we all can experience the reality of that. When we trust Jesus... And when we make the choice to stop trying to hide from God.